time we open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. It's going to take us a couple of minutes to get there. But I'm just sensing that God wants to move in a greater way. And so he's just waiting for us to pray. You know, it's a trip when you think about it. Like, okay, Lord, I just know that there's more. I, I thank God for the life that he's given to me. To be honest, I don't deserve it. It's more than I deserve, but less than I've dreamed. So I know that God has more. But I think that when God starts stirring things up, maybe you feel the same way. You know, um, he stirs us up to pray. You know, so where the, the prayer meetings, we have one before the first service and second service, one before midweek service. They, they become packed with people that are excited to come and to pray. And, you know, the different opportunities that you have as an individual, that you guys should have all received one of these cards upon entrance. And so there's got to be something, someone, at least one pressing prayer request that you have so my, uh, I would ask that you fill it out, you, maybe even something on the back. You, I want to receive the Lord. Today can be the day that you are saved, today, you know, just by simple faith in Jesus Christ. So fill that out. I know some of you guys here, you don't have a pen. Just look for a girl. They usually have one. And so raise your hand or whatever and, uh, and fill that out. But I believe with all my heart that God wants to move, and so he's moving us to pray Yesterday, I got a call uh, from the Almonte Police Department. I get the opportunity to uh, serve as a chaplain there. And, you know, usually when I get a call out, it's because of some type of tragedy. And I've gone to many of these uh, things, and I see it all the time, whether it be me having to go down the street right here in Santa Anita Avenue and knock on the door and let someone know that their son was killed in a, in a motorcycle accident or, or a car accident or just over there, I remember, uh, by the bus station where a young person hung themselves. Yesterday, I was there, a 14-year-old girl in her room um, overdosed. And we don't know if it was, uh, you know, intentional. We don't know if it was uh, that, um, but we do know that she was struggling with depression and anxiety. She had just started her new life there at Almani High School. And so this is what is going on in the city of Almani, and it just is heartbreaking. So please remember the Cruz family in your prayers. That's part of the reason that I'm like, Lord, you know, um, this family is going to need comfort, and this family will only find comfort in you. And so, Lord, I, I get to go and I get to talk to the dad and talk to the mom and talk to the brother and talk to their beautiful friends. But then, you know, I'm not there anymore. And so, Lord, I, and then that's why the Lord just said, get the church, ask the church to pray for them. Because, like I was telling them, unless, you know, you really find that relationship with God, when you go through this as a friend, a mom, a brother, a dad, your life will never be the same. You will never recover because only God can heal the broken heart. And so um, I remember this is going on in the city of Almani. I'm telling you, as a chaplain, we get police officers, they come in, detectives that come in. They tell us about the hundreds of cases that are currently under investigation. And so all that to say, I remember, it was a long time ago, I was just walking down the hall, the previous church that I was at, and a verse came to my mind. I didn't even know 
uh, what it said, I just, I just got a, a thought in my mind. Jeremiah 29.7. And I had no idea what that was. Jeremiah 29.7. So I went back and I looked it up. And here's what it says. It says, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. And it was like God spoke to me. You know, I, I was already on my way to Almani to start the church. And the Lord gave me like some divine details. Uh, Seek the peace of that city where I've caused you to be carried away captive. You know, you're that bond servant, right? And, but, but how do you seek the peace, Lord? How do you get the peace? And, the God, and God just said, pray for it. Pray for it, for for in its peace, Manny, then you will have peace. And my, my prayer has always been, Lord, let Almani be known for its righteousness. Let it be known as a Christian city. Maybe up to this point, I don't know what people think of Almani. I have heard some people say nothing good comes of Almani. They, you know, Nazareth, and it's kind of comparable to stuff like that. I've discovered beautiful people here, but I will say this, that out of 110,000, 115,000 people, how many of them know God's peace? And so the Lord said, well, this is how you do it. You have to pray for this city. You have to pray for each other. You know, it can't just be the leaders. It can't just be the pastors, although it does begin with us. And talking to the guys last night, uh, we were, we're all in agreement, like, no, we need to step it up another level, right? Uh, it has to, we're, we're going to see that in church history, but um, it has to be all of us, all of you here. You're all a part of that. You know, I was thinking about the passage in Luke chapter 1, verse 10, it says, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And so that was when the angel came from heaven and he spoke to Zacharias there in the temple. It wasn't just another day in the temple. It wasn't just another day. An angel came and God began a new work. And well, it's just not a coincidence that all the people were outside praying in the hour of incense. I think sometimes we have a hard time praying for, well, an hour? Are we talking about an hour? Yeah, we read that frequently in the Bible. So, you know, the prayer meetings that, that we're calling, come. Do you want to see God move? Then come, pray. You know, I was thinking about Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and with his brothers. And you might remember the setting there in the book of Acts, right before the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. The church was born, how? In a prayer meeting. 120 people were there just seeking the Lord with one heart. I mean, little did they know that the fire was about to fall. You know, you see this even in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison. They were ready to kill this guy. This guy was ready to die. James had already died. But it says in Acts 12, verse 5, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. 
And so they're gathering together at church and the temple and houses, and they're, and they're just constantly praying. And so this guy, and think about, you know, I guess God would have probably raised someone else up, right? We know, because God is faithful. But look at what God did through Peter. The way that God used him in so many ways on the day of Pentecost or even opening up the door to the Gentiles or writing the letter. You know, when Peter first started, he used to sleep when he was supposed to pray. Did you guys know that? Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, what was Peter doing? Right? When Jesus said, hey, come with me. We got to pray because the devil's right around the corner. Watch and pray. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. What was Peter doing? He was there, man. He was praying. No offense, Peter, but it's a different Peter, okay? So what we're saying here is that it's amazing to me when you go through the book of Acts and then you read in Acts chapter 3, guess who's walking to the temple in the hour of prayer, 3 p.m.? Peter. He's on his way to pray in the hour of prayer. You go over to Acts chapter 10, guess who's on the rooftop praying at noontime? It's Peter. See, he had grown in his prayer life. He used to sleep, but now he's praying. Some of you here, and I don't want to say anything bad, but, you know, that's you. That's you. And maybe you're physically sleeping when you should be praying. You know, get out of bed. Maybe you try praying, you fall asleep. Something's wrong with that. Or just maybe it's a spiritual sleep. And God wants to awaken you and tell you, don't you know I have so much for you. I want to move in a mighty way. I'm just waiting for you to really pray. You know, that's what we see when we read the scriptures. You know, what if I told you guys that God wants to talk to you? How many of you would think, oh, I'm in trouble? God wants to talk to me? No. He wants to talk to you. He really does, not because you're in trouble, but because you're loved. How many people can you really say want to spend time with you? Most of us nowadays, uh, everybody's busy, or oh, I would if I could, but God wants to spend time with you. The God of the universe wants to spend time with you. God wants to bless you. How many of you here want to be blessed? You want to be blessed, right? I'm sure you would all say that. And that doesn't necessarily mean you get what you want when you want it. It doesn't necessarily mean you get all the money, you get all the health, because blessings mean God's will for my life. But, you know, we know that blessings are good. It comes down from above. And God wants to bless you so he's waiting for you to start praying the way that you should. James 4, verse 2, sometimes you don't have because you don't really ask. Sometimes our motives are marred, so we purify our motives. One of the beautiful things about prayer, and you can probably only really discover this when you pray, is as you're praying and God is talking and you're praying, God begins to speak to you and he even tells you how to pray, what to pray. You can only experience that when you're praying. That's how beautiful. And then what ends up happening is God's will gets done and somehow in a mysterious way, he uses the prayers and the way that they change 
to change everything. That's how Samuel was born. Hannah said, give me a child, give me a child, give me a child. God said, no, 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 no. Until finally Hannah said, okay, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And God said, okay, now we're talking because God would raise up Samuel to change the country because she gave him back to God. You see, this is what happens when we pray. We have to pray, though, as if we mean it. Genesis 32, it talks about when Jacob wrestled with God all night long. And um, I don't know if you guys have wrestled lately, but if you haven't, maybe go home and try it with somebody. It's tiring, man. I used to wrestle in high school for six minutes, and it's so difficult. You get so tired. So imagine wrestling with God. Jacob thought he was buff. You know, I'm sure God was a little stronger. Um, but wrestling all night long. But then when you read Genesis 32, 26, it's, he said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. That's the kind of prayer that we need to be involved in. The prayer of Jabez in First Chronicles 4, 9 through 10. It's really a beautiful prayer. And, oh, God, that you would bless me. Indeed, and God gave him what he asked for. So God wants to talk to us, not because we're in trouble, but because we're loved. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to get to know him. He wants to bless you. He wants to empower you. He wants to change you. That sometimes the only way you're going to change is if you pray a quantity, quality time in prayer. You're asking God, change the situation, change the situation, change the situation, and he won't change it. Because he's trying to change you. He's trying to change me, right? We talk about stuff like this. God wants to save souls. God wants to heal our land. God can raise up godly leaders and godly legislation, and we need to fight for all of that. But ultimately, the healing for our land comes in response to the prayers of God's people. You guys know that? How many of you here are, are patriots? You love our nation? We all should. We live in a wonderful nation, United States of America. I'm telling you, man, it is this wonderful. I saw the Republican, uh, was it, debate the other day, and I'm thinking, Lord, man, some of these guys, that would be cool, and we got some options here. What if that individual right there, you know, and so, yeah, pray. Let's, you know, vote. Let's do all that. But ultimately, we got to know that it's not going to happen. Like Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. You might be here, and you might think it's too late for the United States of America, and I, all I know is, like, I don't know. I'm going to pray like crazy now. God, please do this work. You know, it says right there, they, they pray and then they seek my face. And that right there is a real interesting term in, in the Hebrew. We were talking about intimacy with God. And so it's going to be deep. We want to know the Lord. We want to see him move. But then let me ask you guys, okay, so number one, how many of you guys want to be like Jesus? I'm just curious. Do you want to be like Jesus? You're like, no, I don't want to. Then leave right now. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we should want to be like Jesus, okay? So you're still you. You're still your beautiful, unique you, a little strange like me. But you still, you know, the character of Christ. So we want to be like Jesus. Okay, we'll never be like Jesus until we begin to pray like Jesus, okay? So we got to get that in our, in our heads. And I'll tell you, you read the book of Luke, which emphasizes the humanity of Jesus, 
And when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself of his divine resources. The way that he was able to do those miracles was not necessarily because he was God. It was because he prayed. It was because he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that the dead were brought to life, that the lame walked, the blind saw, the deaf heard, the mute spoke. They got saved because of the fact that Jesus prayed and was filled with the Holy Spirit. So number one, you want to be like Jesus, amen? So you got to start praying like Jesus. Number two, how many of you here are interested in helping people? I mean, don't you want to help people? I know I do. I think of this 14-year-old girl who yesterday died, and I, and I wonder, Lord, what if she would have come in, into my path prior to this tragedy? Would I have had the love and the power and the spiritual resources to really help her? Because I can't do this on my own strength. None of us can. So, Lord, help us help them. This is kind of what prayer is. And we read something interesting here in Matthew 17. Look what it says here in, in verse 14. It says, And when they had come to the multitude... A man came to him, speaking of Jesus, the man came to Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And so Jesus had just been on the Mount of Transfiguration, a glorious time, and now he comes down to really what's known as the demon-possessed valley. And I don't know if you can visualize it, but visualize a father with his son. And it's not just that his son has epilepsy. That's a tough thing in and of itself. It's just that this, his son keeps throwing himself, think about it, into the fire to burn him. He keeps throwing himself into the water. He can't swim to drown him. What's going on? The devil is trying to kill him, right? And so what does this father do? In one sense, the equivalent of bringing him to church. You know, and that sometimes people will come to church with heavy, heavy situations, you know? And, and so they, they bring their, their children to church. They bring their, 
their impossible situations to church because they're thinking that the, that the God of the universe surely can help them and they, and they go to that church and there's, there's no help. There's no help. And so they, he said, I brought him to the, the guys and they, and they couldn't cure him. And, and so he's explaining this to Jesus. And again, what Jesus said in verse 17 is pretty heavy. He, he's oh, faithless and, and perverse generation. How long shall, shall I be with you? You know, when you, when you look at that statement right there, I mean, there is a sense in which Jesus was frustrated with his disciples. You know, his season of ministry is about to end. The cross was coming close and the disciples didn't have the faith that would be necessary in order to fight off these demons. Um, David Guzik said, there is a sense in which Jesus was frustrated with his disciples. And Lenski said that all three synoptists report this pained exclamation on the part of Jesus. In other words, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all talk about the fact that Jesus said this. It's a case where Jesus allows his deep feeling to be expressed in words and pain and disappointment were coming out of his heart. You know, to be a perverse generation is an interesting word. You would think, well, perverse generation, that's talking about all these, you know, you know, the, the gender stuff and the, and the, you know, you name it, uh, the, the porn stuff, and that's what perverse generation. No, the perverse generation was the faithless generation. The perverse generation here is in reference to a generation that doesn't pray, the generation that doesn't fast, the generation that doesn't have the faith of a mustard seed because that's all it takes to move mountains. Here we see the Lord is rebuking his disciples as with being without faith. You know, when you look at this right here, Warren Worsby said, um, you discover what was lacking in their lives. First on the list was they didn't have faith. Second was they didn't pray. And third was that they didn't fast. And that's what happens when you don't have faith, is you don't pray. Uh, you don't really pray like you should. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for these tacos, Lord. Bless it in Jesus' name. And, you know, that's the extent of our prayer. You know, real quick, we're falling asleep. You know, maybe, you know, wake up in the morning and you've got your little two-minute thing. And, again, I don't want to judge you or anything, but I'm just saying that that's not faith. Faith is, we're going to talk about this, is, is, a, is, a, is a prayer life that is passionate, that is powerful. I'm reading right now about church history. And, you know, when you're looking at all the people in church history, you know, I love the story of John Wesley. John Wesley uh, would pray every day uh, from 4 to 6 in the morning. And so one day he was having uh, dinner with one of the most important people in the nation. And after dinner, they got done eating the individual said, you know, cross your legs, sit down, and we can talk some more. And John Wesley said, I can't talk right now. It's 9 o'clock. I have to go home because I have an important appointment in the morning. And he said, with appointment in the morning? Yes, at 4 a.m. Well, with who? With God. That's what he said. Every day of my life. Go to bed at 10 Wake up at four. That's where we get that phrase, 10-4, just in case you guys didn't know that. 
I'm just joking. I made that up. That's not true. But <laughs> you're like thinking, well, man, two hours in prayer, and we'll talk about how many things you can pray for and how fast that can go. But um, you're thinking, I know some of you might be thinking, I've got so many things to do, and there's no way I could pray every day for two hours. Well, John Wesley, he prayed every day for two hours, and he, in his life, wrote 231 awesome books. If you've ever read any John Wesley's books, they are awesome. They are anointed. 231 books. He preached 40,000 sermons. And on a horseback, he traveled 250,000 miles. So I'm saying, if you give God what belongs to God, and you might think, well, I don't know if I have time because there's things I have to do at night and things I have to do in the morning. You know, you have to ask God for the divine details and he'll tell you what to do. But I'm, saying, I'm telling the truth. Just like tithing, you give to God what belongs to God and he blows your mind. He, he multiplies the money. He multiplies the time. You know, John Wesley was actually the, the son of a beautiful woman named Susanna Wesley. Now, there's different reports as far as how many kids she had, but from what I understand, I think at the end of the day, I would have to say the conclusion is she had 19 children. 19, okay? Nine of them died when they were infants. She definitely had 10, but, but she would pray every day for an hour. And she would put that, you know, that, 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 that garment on her head and all the kids knew hey, mom is talking to God right now. Somehow that was able to get conveyed to the children and somehow there was that anointing in that home. Next thing you know, John Wesley, I mean, when he got 35, he really got saved and sanctified on fire for the next 53 years. He served the Lord. He died when he was 88. And so you're looking at John Wesley, oh, he's so cool, he's so cool. How did he become so cool? How did he become so powerful? His mom prayed for him. See, a lot of times I think we make excuses and God is just saying, no, look at, watch how wonderful this is. Jesus here was saying that we're really off almost to a point of perversity. We're not praying the way that we should. If we have faith, we're going to pray. And as the Spirit leads, we're going to fast. And you watch it. I don't know if you guys ever fast. How many of you here, don't raise your hand. How many of you here fast? You fast, like you're like, okay, you're not interested in losing weight. Okay, because that already cancels it out if you do it for losing weight. But if you fast to like, I want to I draw near to God. When you say no to your body, and I love food, it's, uh, it's, I, I love food, I have to admit, but when you say no to your body, your spiritual senses are heightened. And then all of a sudden you get, you get to hear the Holy Spirit and he begins to give you guidance that you didn't have apart from prayer and fasting. Here right here, Jesus said, this kind doesn't come out except by, through prayer and fasting. And so I'm just kind of throwing these things out there to you guys. The Lord will show you how to pray. The Lord will show you how to fast. The Lord will show you how important faith is to help us, to help people to make us like Jesus. 
You know, I love what we read in Luke chapter 11 in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. You know, I love this because um, I believe with all my heart that they saw Jesus preach and love and do miracles, and they just knew that the way that he was able to do all that, the key to his life was his prayer life. And so not just teach us how to pray, but Lord, teach us to pray. So our church now embarks on a journey where that's going to be our prayer. Lord, make us a praying church so that when someone even says, hey, what's your church like? You're going to know we're praying church. For some reason, that just became like the DNA of our church, the heartbeat of our church, the dynamic of our church, the desire of our church, that we become a praying church, and not just the individuals and not just those who are kind of inclined to do so or a little bit more gifted in it. No, everybody, everybody. And, and you know, you go to a public prayer meeting and a lot of times people are afraid to go to a public prayer meeting because they, they feel like they're not eloquent enough or they don't know like the King James vernacular. And, and so if that's you and you're like afraid like to pray out loud, come, come, because I love your prayers. Well, I'm not saying I don't like the other ones. But your prayers are almost my favorite ones because they're so simple and you're fumbling over the words and but the Lord knows the desires of the heart. And your prayers are powerful. They're like the children's prayers. My, my, my prayer is that we would have that heart. You come before Sunday morning first service. You're there at 8.15, half an hour. It's not that big of a deal. You know, um, maybe before second service, it's at what time? 10? 9? Oh, what, am I getting the... 10.15, yeah. And before the midweek service, you know, Saturday morning, the men, you, you come not for breakfast, but you come to pray. You know, you come not because, well, this is the opportunity that I get to talk and dialogue. No, you come because you love to pray. And God begins to do that work in our life. I want to close with some diagnostic questions because I, I really am hoping to make it very practical. So the reporters would always ask the question, who, what, where, when, why, how, whenever they were interrogating and trying to get more information. And so I'll just ask those questions just to um, kind of just throw some things out at you guys. Number one, when you pray, who are you talking to? You're talking to the God of the universe, right? You're talking to your heavenly father. And who are you? You're his child. You know, you're his son, you're his daughter, and he, let me tell you, he loves you. And so don't forget that. I think uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, he has a song on this, and let me see if I remember the words. If not, uh, please forgive me. But he says um, in the song, he says, The morning finds me here at heaven's door, a place I've been so many times before. Familiar phrases, thoughts, and words start to flow. They take me to places that I know so well. 
In other words, when you pray, a lot of times, you know, we use the same words. We kind of got the same driveway. We go in and it's like the same thing. And that's what he's saying. He says, but then the the next uh, verse, it says, but do I dare remember where I am? I stand before the great eternal throne, the one that God himself is seated on. And I, I've been invited as a son. I, I've been invited to come and believe the unbelievable, receive the inconceivable, to see beyond my wildest imagination. I come with great expectation. You see, that's how we're supposed to come to prayer. Not like another, no, this is amazing who we're talking to. Let me ask you another question when it comes to the who question, not just who you're talking to and who you are, but um, who do you pray for? If I, can I ask you guys that? Who do you pray for? Or do you pray for anyone? Are you responsible, do you think, to pray for anybody? Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, it's interesting what Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12, 23. He said, far be it from me to sin by not praying for you. And so sometimes people, in all reality, they don't really pray too much. And I almost feel like I wonder, Lord, are they praying for their family? And so husbands, let me ask you, husbands that are here, do you pray for your wife? Okay, and, and if you do, how long do you pray for her? So you're like, you go to prayer and you're like, oh Lord, bless my wife, help her become a better cook. I mean, stuff like that, you know. <laughs> I don't know what you're praying, you know, like a real quick prayer. I don't know what you would ask for, but no, you pray for your wife. Lord, I pray for my wife and, you know, my, my children. And, and it's like, dude, you just prayed for your wife for one second. No, I mean, no, you guys. So I'll be honest. I, I don't know. I think maybe I mentioned it to you, but maybe get a little timer and say, okay, I'm going to spend 10 minutes praying for my, my wife or whatever, five minutes praying for my wife. And then I'm praying five minutes praying for me, you know. I, I spend time praying for my wife, praying for my daughter, praying for my son, praying for forgiveness. Praying for Thanksgiving, praying for help, praying for my extended family, praying for the pastors, each single one, overseers. I mean, we're talking about in the morning when I'm praying, you know, if I were just to give them five minutes, five minutes for me, my wife, my daughter, me, my wife, my daughter, my son, my mom, extended family, there's half an hour right there. All I'm saying is that there should be individuals that we are lifting up to God. When it comes to who we're praying to God, we are children of God and we're praying for others. Let me ask you another question. What is prayer? Well, that one's a little bit more simple. It's just communing. It's just communicating. It's just talking to God. Um, I'm gonna, uh, you're, you might be wondering, why is this chair here? Um, I put it here for a reason because I just kind of want to, I'm trying my best to encourage you and and hopefully um, that when you go home today or throughout the week that you will pray. 
And so I want to show you what Chuck Smith would do. Pastor Chuck Smith, Papa Chuck, the one that God used not to give him the glory, but just the amazing work that God did through Calvary Chapel, right? And he didn't always do it like this, but you know what he would do? He would just sit down in in a chair, just real simple. Just sit down in a chair. You guys can do that. And just start talking to God. You know, God, I, I come to you today and, you know, I, I, I like to pray like, you know, certain things. But Lord, here we are in church. I, I love these people. I want the best for them, God. So bless them, Lord. I work in, I need my name, Pastor Rawl or Pastor Jeff or Pastor Greg Laurie. And he starts looking at these young 20-year-old guys. Starts lifting them up to the Lord. You know, when I pray, I pray simple things. I pray, believe it or not, I rhyme, even when I pray. <laughs> Lord, I pray for my wife. I pray for protection. I pray for direction. I pray for perfection. I, I do that. Protection is a big word. Think about protection. Protector from the devil. Protector from those demons, God. Protector from anyone or anything that would want to hurt her. Be her shield, God. Direct her life. Direct her life. And I pray that for my kids. And then, and then the perfection part, you're wondering, well, what is perfection? Man, you're praying for perfection. Perfection is just maturity. What it is is like we were talking about earlier, just making us more and more like Jesus. You know, wasn't Jesus beautiful? Wasn't he wonderful, the love that he had, the, the things that he did? I mean, and then, you know, I pray, I pray three things. I have kind of categories. And I, and I usually start off by saying, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry for the things that I've done that are wrong. I'm sorry for uh, things that I haven't done. I should do. I'm sorry, Lord, for really failing you in every role and responsibility that I have. I'm sorry for who I am apart from you. Confession is a big part of prayer. And then after I say I'm sorry, I say thank you. I always tell him thank you. Thank you, Lord. For saving me. And I trip out because you guys know I cry easy, right? You're like, yeah, dude, you're crying right now. <laughs> the other day I was watching uh, uh, Rocky II and my daughter's looking at me and I'm all crying. And uh, you know what? At the end when he says, Adrian, I did it. I mean, you know, it makes you cry. But anyways, I cry easily. And um, I, I, I don't know, generally speaking, I've been saved now for 34 years. And every single day, I thank God for my salvation. And I I cry every day. And I thank him for the sun that's shining. I thank him for the world that's spinning. I thank him for helping me fall asleep last night. Because I know some people can't fall asleep. I thank him for sustaining me while I slept and waking me in the morning. I don't know why. I've got little things like that. 
So you ever think about the fact that you sleep at night and, and, you, and, you, and you get recharged? You ever think about that? What a miracle that is. You're not even plugging into anything. You know, uh, to me, that's a miracle how you go into hibernation and then you wake up in the morning. So uh, this is, I start thanking God for everything. And, you know, the birds are singing, the sun is shining, the heart is beating. And then after I'm done, first it's sorry, then it's thank you, and then it's help. Just help. Three things. Help us. Help me. So what I'm trying to say is you get a, a chair and, and you go in the backyard. You get a chair or whatever, you go in the garage. I like to pray usually on my face. I, I like it. I don't know. I've got a nice rug, I have to be honest. I'm not like David Brainerd who prayed in the snow for 12 hours for the Native Americans. He had tuberculosis. He only went 95 pounds. But his prayer was so passionate that his body heat, even though he had tuberculosis, melted the snow. And David Brainerd became the inspiration for people like C.H. Spurgeon and John Wesley and Jim Carrey. They did what they did and they prayed the way they prayed because they studied his life. And the way he prayed and he died when he was only 28 years old. And you might think, well, what a wasted life. No, what God did in him here in this nation with the Native Americans and then through the others. So, so God will show you, you know, these things. Where do you pray? He'll show you where. He'll show you when. Daniel prayed morning, noon, and night. Daniel 6.10, Psalm 55.17. God will show you when. I can't tell you those things. But let me, let me just say this, okay? I, I do need to say this, that if you don't have any, like, idea when, then you're, you're not disciplined. To be a disciple of Christ, you have to be disciplined. Some, somewhere in there, there has to be appointments with God that you make and keep. I know we always pray, but there is although special times. Why do we pray? Because God commanded it. Because while we pray, we're going to see God's will done. And when we pray, we draw near to him. And then how do we pray? I mean, you know, um, we pray to the Father, the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. We'll talk about things like this as we go through our study here. But Mark 15, verse 38, it says that when Jesus died on the cross, that the veil was torn in two from top to bottom so that now you and I can enter in and we can pray to God. And so, I want to be a praying church. I want God to transform my prayer life individually, make it deeper and better than it's ever been. And I pray that for you too, because I know that as you pray, you will experience God's blessing beyond your wildest imagination. But you have to have a, a place to pray, and you have to know when and how and make it serious. First Peter 4, 7, it says that we are to be serious in our prayers. You know, one last guy in church history. Have any of you guys ever heard of John Hyde? 
John Hyde, you're like, no, he's hidden from my sight. No. H-Y-D-E, John Hyde. He used to pray, um, and there are so many others that we'll talk about as we go through it, but John Hyde, he would pray, you know, prostrate, and so, you know, kind of like slanted like this, and every day for hours, hours, this guy would pray like that, and so um, God used him to save souls. God used him to change a nation. God used him to bring revival. To me, I just think, if only God can use me to help a 14-year-old girl who doesn't want to live anymore. You can use us, Lord, if we pray. He prayed. God did that work. And he prayed so much that when he died, they did an autopsy on him. And you know what they discovered? They discovered that his heart had moved up and to the side because that's how he prayed. And my prayer is that God would move our hearts, that God would move your heart. I'm telling you, man, there's nothing better than this. We bring our requests to God. Maybe you're here that the first prayer of all is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Pray to receive Christ. Tell him, Lord, I, I really need you. I believe you died for me on a cross, rose again. Jesus, come into my life. Pray that prayer. That's how it starts. And if you've drifted away, he's just a prayer away where you say, Lord, help me come back to this place I need to be. And you take one step and then he runs the other 99, if that's you. But whatever is pressing on your heart today, I I pray that you fill this out. We're going to have the pastors up here. And man, come forward, you guys. Bring these requests. Let these guys pray for you. Um, Watch what God will do when you take these steps of faith.